After a long time out from the book of Romans, we are back and um, last week we were able to kind of catch up and kind of bring you up to speed after having the the summer series that we were off for 12 weeks um, to kind of recap or kind of remind you of what we had covered um, previously. And if you missed last week, you can go online and listen to uh, the message and uh, just kind of get caught up if you're, you know, you start coming during the summer series and then you come and you got, you, you know, you're thinking chapter 12, what happened to the first 11? Well, we've already covered those. We've been in it for quite a while. And so after reviewing the first 11 chapters and getting into chapter 12 last week, uh, we basically see the Apostle Paul begging his readers by the mercies of God that they present their bodies a living sacrifice to God, that they would come before him. And I found it interesting, and I kind of shared this last week, that here we have the Apostle, the great Apostle, um, basically on his knees, begging the people that he is writing to, pleading with them, um, beseeching them is the word, um, urging his readers to basically present themselves to God as a living sacrifice, saying, here I am. And what I found interesting is that, I guess if if, if these people were truly, I guess, grateful for all the mercies of God, what he has done on their behalf. I, I kind of find it interesting that the, the apostle had to beg them to do this. And it's almost like, why, was it just, why wasn't it just coming natural for us, for the readers, after listening to this, getting to this point, just being on the ground going, here I am, Lord. You know, I, I, I present myself to you. And, and, and one would think that it would be an automatic response from the reader that after receiving all the grace, all the mercies of God, that they would give themselves, offer themselves to the one who saved them. And yet, you know, even as I think about this, how often do we go through life as we're reading our word on a regular basis and we're just kind of getting caught up in, in walking with Jesus and stuff that we really, you know, put it on automatic and we're serving him and we forget to go back and thank him for the mercies, thank him for everything. And once again, offer ourselves to him because it's like, oh, Lord, how did I veer off? How did I get over here? Because again, our natural response every day, guys, if we truly kind of remember the mercies of God, that they're brand new every morning. Every morning you wake up and, and it's like a clean slate, right? And, and you haven't sinned that day yet until your eyes open up. <laughs> and it's like, ah. But His mercies are brand new every morning. Every morning they are. And so every morning we should be doing what verse, verse 1 says that we should be presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And what I found ironic as well is that God was not the one that was um, asking for the sacrifice. It was Paul. God wasn't asking for a sacrifice. He loved us. He gave himself for us. He did everything on our behalf and he has, he has 
asked nothing in return. He was going to love the world regardless. And he gave his son. But he didn't ask for anything. And yet, he gives it all. And Paul was the one that was asking that we, we would present ourselves to God. Now, if, if you are going to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, even though he didn't ask for it, if you do that, guess what? He wants it all. He doesn't want part of it. He doesn't want just a mediocre, here's, here's my little offering. He says, keep it. I want it all. I didn't ask for it, but if you're going to present anything to me, I want it all. I don't want half. I don't want 50%. I don't want whenever you have time for me. I want it all. And so present it all. And guys, what that, that, that is like the only reasonable service that, that we can do in response to what he has given to us, all the mercies of God. And I kind of touched on the mercies of God are the first 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters, he, 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 he just showed us all his grace. He showed us all his mercy. All, all the things that we covered last week and we're kind of going through it, that, that it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. He's justified us. He's, he's been the propitiation. He's been the one that gener- uh, regenerates us, the sanctification. All those things, boom, 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 boom. All the doctrines of the faith. Those are the things that he has given to us. And so our only reasonable service is to present ourselves i like what the niv how he how it puts it it says it's our our act of worship that's our only act of worship to present ourselves to do that so with that encouragement to do our reasonable service paul also encouraged the readers to continue to be transformed by the renewing of their mind in verse 2 Because the world never stops trying to conform us back into the world, and it never, ever stops. (laughs) I don't care if you're young or old. The world is always tugging at you. The world system, all those things that would bring you into conformity to the world. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And, And all of us, at one point, we were in the world. So it is really easy for us to conform to the world because we were once there. (laughs) And so it's so easy to go back to those things and just kind of fit in to the mold of what the world tells us we should be doing and being like. And he says, no, continue to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Put off the old man, be renewed, and and put on the new man, which is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, continue to do that. It's a continual kind of transformation that we are to be doing and having. So verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we are many members 
in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being member, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to our, in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We'll just cover to verse 8 tonight. As we go back to verse 3, and he says, For I say, and it's almost like he is saying, Let me also say this in addition to what I've just told you. As I continue in this frame of mind of, of, of a Christian life and service, that what we are supposed to be doing, let me also say that these services that we get to do are only gifts that we have received from the Spirit of God. Again, we, 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 we see that, that here as he continues on, he says these gifts that, that we're going to talk about are also the grace the grace of God that He has given to us. And so, you, you, you notice here that He, it isn't a command, some kind of command that He's giving us. He, he, he's not saying, hey, I command you here. I, he, he just says, for I say this. It's not an authoritative demand. He's not trying to throw his weight around, even though he's an apostle that he can tell us, hey guys, I've told you that you ought to present yourselves a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed, be transformed. And I'm going to tell you this also. But he doesn't come across that way. No, he, he kind of puts things in perspective for us in that he has himself received and he knows that it is through the grace of God that was given to him that he would be able to say anything to anybody and to, and, and, uh, to, to anyone. He can say anything to it because of the grace of God. He, he, he comes back to that gift that he had received that he did not deserve, but God gave it to him anyways. And so he says, through the grace given me, I'm going to exhort you, I'm going to encourage you in these things. Paul understood the mercies of God, that he had not gotten what he deserved. He understood what justice was, he understood what mercy was, and he understood what grace was. And so he understood the mercies of God. Everything that he had been writing about, he did not get what he deserved. All the, all, all the charges were dropped on his behalf. And so not only did he understand the mercies of God, but he understood the grace of that was given to him. In other words, the fact that he got what he didn't deserve. He got the grace as well. And so with that grace that was given to him, he's appealing to the reader. He, he is again beseeching them in that sense, begging them to, to pay attention because he's not coming with authority, he's coming with grace. So in that, he had every right to expound 
to give further advice on what he wanted everyone who was among them to know. But, but I get the sense that Paul knew what was the heart of man in this whole thing. As he had been sharing about the mercies of God and the grace of God and how he tells them, hey, you need to humble yourself and present yourself to God. You need to remember what the world wants you to conform to and be transformed. And so I get the sense that he understands man's heart. And so he he includes everyone who is among you. Whoever is going to be reading this letter 2,000 years ago and today. Okay? Because everyone has an issue with pride. The believer as well as the unbeliever. I, I, I think Paul knew who he was in Christ. But he also knew who he was before Christ. And I'm sure when he came to Christ, he battled that same pride that he had before when he was not walking with Jesus. So he's battled it from both sides. And as believers, I'm, I'm assuming because I battle with pride just like anybody else, that we we battle that pride. We, we, we can lift ourselves up and think that we're something else here, that we're kind of top dog here and that, and, and that you know, we can think pretty highly of ourselves. And from the testimony that Paul gives us in his word, he, he had some pride. <laughs> he prided himself on who he was and who he was going to be. And yet, even after coming to Christ, I'm sure those battles were still there. I'm sure in those times where, 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 where it was just everything was coming against him, he could go back and say, man, I could have been this. I, you know, whether he had those conversations, I don't know, but he battled with life. And so coming to understand the grace that had been given to him, he understood that he did nothing, absolutely nothing, to deserve this grace. And nobody can do anything to deserve this kind of grace that he is talking about here. So when he says, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, he is beseeching them and saying, pay attention to this about the grace. Because you see, grace kind of levels the the playing field. It, it, It brings down the proud so they can't be too proud and it raises up the humble and puts them on the same, so nobody can really boast about who they are. And so then he says this, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's quite a blow right there, you know, because, I mean, in this day and age, what we live in, again, the world that wants us to conform, it's like, no, it's all about you. You are the best. You're the best. Be all you can be. You know, it's all about self-esteem. It's all about, you know, making yourself better and higher and step on whoever you have to step on to get to the top because that's what you deserve. You deserve it all. You know, people that that try to encourage sales and, and, and stuff like that in, in marketing, it's like, look in the mirror and you're the man. And, you know, it's like, you can do this and you can... And it's like, yes. 
And so you almost like, I can, I'll walk in there and I'm going to make the deal. I'm going to make the sale. I can do this. You know, you, you just think of yourself up here and you're going to reach that. And Paul comes across right here. He says, hey, don't do that. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that's a good word for us because we do think of ourselves very highly. I, well, at least I do. And so reading this is like, ah, oh, I hate this portion because it kind of brings me back to reality of what the grace of God is all about because all of us can think very highly of ourselves. And this is what some of the definitions are about kind of thinking too highly of ourselves, um, to think highly. Um, and, and this is from the Strong's, from the Thayer's, and the Vine's um, Dictionary, to esteem oneself over much, i.e. to be vain or arrogant. Another one is to think more highly of oneself than is proper. To be over proud, high-minded. I like the way the Amplified puts this portion. Do not estimate or think of himself more highly than he ought to, than he ought not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance. Don't think that you're that important. Now again, I mean, it just kind of sounds like, man, Zeke, you're just kind of like bumming me out here. Man, I felt good about myself when I walked in, and now I don't. (laughs) But he's saying don't overly do it. He says, when you think of yourself, think of yourself soberly. Don't overdo it. Don't think you are that haughty, that great. Don't be so arrogant about who you are. If you know who you are in Christ, honestly, if you know who you are in Christ, you would truly never think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Because you know your position in Christ. Again, you will understand that you did nothing to get to this position. I did nothing to get to this position so that I could think of myself more highly than anybody else. If I truly know who I am in Christ. Because when I know who I am in Christ, I find myself in this humble position instead of this prideful position. And anyone who thinks more highly of themselves is being prideful, thinking that... The church really can't function without me. So some of you guys who were there on, on, at the men's study um, that we had in Apple Valley, he, he, he was talking about self-esteem. It's like, it's not about that. We have so much self-esteem. It, it, it's about knocking us down a few notches here because we do think too highly of ourselves so many different times. I think when, 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 when we are self-absorbed, we, be, we become... I don't know, sometimes even depressed (laughs) because it's all about us. When we become self-absorbed, we ain't got time to help anybody else out because we're thinking too much of of ourselves. And so he says, don't do this. Don't think so highly of yourself because if you understand who you are in Christ, then you will understand the grace that is associated with being in Christ. That you did nothing to save yourself. You did nothing 
But as I was looking at this, I thought, but there are those who do. There are those who do think of themselves more highly than they ought to think of themselves. And they tend to forget, even the the Christian, they tend to forget that they had nothing to do with their salvation. They often think that God is so lucky to have them on board because of their charisma, because of the way they come, come across. It's like, man, they are so smooth. And man, they actually believe it. And, they, and they, they could be smooth, don't get me wrong. But man, oh man, they just kind of pat themselves on the back and you're going, oh Lord, how, how, how does he come across a scripture like this and continue to be like that? Now, and again, not, I, I think there's that, the other part that we can think so low of ourselves. <laughs> and I think that's wrong also because he's not saying that, you know, why don't you just be a dirtbag? Why don't you just be so low that you just eat the worms? Because that's all, you know, it's like, I'm so humble. It's like, dude, that is sin too. You're, you're, you're kind of going on the opposite direction and thinking too high of yourself because you're so humble. And so we need to be careful that there's a balance there. They are to think soberly, he says. The word soberly means to be of a sound mind, i.e. sane, figuratively moderate. To be uh, be in right mind, be sober-minded soberly. Thinking highly and thinking soberly are as different as pride and humility. Thinking too highly of yourself is like, man, there's, there's that pride. Thinking soberly, that's, that's humility. And so, again, there, there has to be that humility that comes across in our lives. Because every time we, we boast, every time we puff ourselves up, every time we think that we're better than the next person, because, well, we don't do those things, then you're thinking of yourself more highly and you're putting them down and your pride is coming forth. And that's what's showing And yet there has to be a humility that no matter who anybody is around you, they got saved just like you got saved. You are no better than they are. You were on your way to hell just like they were. And God, by his mercy and his grace, gave you salvation. And so after that, when people are being used in the body of Christ, that's when people also, you know, they get a title or they get a position and all of a sudden they start looking at everybody else as lower than, ever, than, than themselves. And it's like, no, you're, 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 you're elevating yourself. And yet, as a servant of God, you're supposed to humble yourself. God is the one who has dealt a measure of faith every one of us again when you put that in perspective is like man you couldn't even muster up that your own faith to believe god had to give you the faith so that you could believe he gave you a measure of it so that you can you can come to salvation even and so it's almost like that is pretty humbling if, if you think it's like, no, I, I, I came to this conclusion. It's like he gave you that conclusion. <laughs> he brought you to that place. In verses 4 and 5, where, where he says, For as we have many members in one body, 
but all the members do not have the same function. But we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This, this is where I think people start thinking of themselves more highly when all of a sudden they're being put in positions in the body of Christ and they're thinking, I'm way more important than the other person. And so Paul here kind of puts things in perspective once again when he comes um, to someone who is thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to and he, he gives us the illustration of the body. Now, we're all familiar with the body because we all have one. And I know that's obvious. But it's a great illustration because every one of our bodies, whether they're working perfectly or not, we all have portions of our body. We all have you know, a head and hands and, and all these things that, that we can think of that, that make up the body. We're all familiar with the body. And, and Paul gave that same illustration of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, where he starts talking about the body. And he starts saying, it's like, man, when one of you thinks you're better than the other, the eye cannot say, hey, I, don't, I have no need of you. I can do it all by myself. It's like, really? That'd be so weird if you're just an eye. You need the rest of it. Or if the hand says, you know what? I've been doing so much work, I don't need the rest of the body. It's like, that's just going to not work. Eventually, it's not going to work. We, we may think more highly of certain parts of our bodies because they're, they're more prominent. It's like, well, heck, that's, that's a really important part. And, and, and we don't think about the, the things that are not that important, you know. The things that we don't see, we don't always sit around and think of them unless they start hurting. And it's like, man, where's that, where's that at, you know? But, but we think of the things that are prominent or the things that are very vital. And we think less of the other things because we don't think about them. Let's, let's just say... That, that you are the heart of the body of Christ. You individually are the heart. And you start thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself because hey, you're the heart. What are you going to do? You know, What's the body going to do without you, right? The body needs a heart. But if you decided, man, I am so much better than the rest of this body, I'm just going to recluse myself from the rest of the body. How do you think that's going to work when you're out in the middle of, the, of a dirt road, you just the heart there? How's that going to work for you? Because you started putting down the, the chest cavity and you started putting down all the other things that, you know, the, the, all the blood things that's flowing into the heart. And you're going, you know, I really don't need you guys. And it's like, well, go on, go, go do your own thing by yourself. And you're sitting out in the middle of the road with all the dust and, you know, just a matter of time before a coyote or something comes and just snatches you away. It's like, really? How, 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 how good are you now? How good are you now? No, you need the rest of the body because as important as you are without the rest of the body, you die also. It's a very important part of our body, isn't it? But without the rest of it to protect the heart, without the veins and the arteries and all those other things and the blood that's flowing and everything else, it's like it, it just does no good on its own. We need the body to function together. When it comes to the, like, the true church, 
the, the whole church of Jesus Christ. We, we might be, or you might be, um, something that, that you need a microscope to, to see what part of the body you are when it comes to the worldwide, you know, like the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to like the church in America, you know, well, maybe, maybe you can see a little bit of how you function in the church of America. But when it comes to the, like the local church here, our little church here, and then we start looking at different parts of the body here, then, then we can start identifying, well, you do this well and you do that well and, and, and you serve in that and you're part of that and you're part of this and we can like, oh, okay, I can see where, I, where we fit in. But we should never think that because some person is in front or working in the back or, or however it is that they are more important than anybody else. Every, every member of the body, even the local body here, is just as important as the next. And we should never look at anybody less than. We shouldn't think of ourselves like that. We're just to do what is right, the soberly thing, to think right in that area and to put things in perspective of what God has done in our lives and the measure or degree of faith that he has dealt to each one. You see, he, he, he never told us that we shouldn't think of ourselves. He just says, don't think of yourselves more highly. Because Paul later on to the Philippians says this. He says, let each one of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. We, we, we are to take care of who we are in the body of Christ but not to think of ourselves overly, more so. Each member has its own function, and it is to fulfill what it's been called to do. But it can't go rogue. It can't go on its own. When when, when you go on your own, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get hurt. You're going to hurt other people. It's safe to be within the body and to do what God has called you to do. Doing what we have been called to do and doing it with humility. Whatever it is. Whatever God has called you to do, do it with humility. Because whenever you do things in humility, it works out for the good for the rest of the body. It really does. When pride and envy creep up, all of a sudden it just kind of brings destruction to the body. It, it, it just, it, it divides people. It hurts people. Verses 6 through 8. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. The word gifts here in the Greek is um, charismata. Charismata. And we get our word uh, care, um, charismatic from it. Charisma, we get it from that word. But it's also the root word for the word grace, which is charis. And so these gifts that he is giving to us, to his people, have to do with grace once again. Whatever gift God has given to you, 
It's purely by His grace. You didn't even come up with that. You might be thinking, well, no, I used to do this before, and so I just brought it into... But He gave you that gift. He's given you that gift. It is by His grace that He allows you to have these kinds of gifts. Once again, He gives us what we do not deserve. That is grace. That's gifts. And so the gift that God has given to you and to me, we are to use them. He says, let us use them. The gifts that God has given to us are to be used. They're not to be abused and they're not to be held back and they're not to be put on a shelf. The gifts that God has given to you are to be used for the body of Christ. Because again, if, if, if the body, part of the body decides, well, you know, I'm just so tired. I'm, I'm going to start, I'm just going to put myself on the shelf. It's almost like, well, the rest of the body is going to hurt when you're not using the gift that God's appropriated to you. You've decided to be selfish and not share it with the rest of the body. And so now the rest of the body, well, it'll just have to limp or do without. <laughs> you know, when, when, whenever, whenever a portion of the body becomes selfish, becomes like it, it just kind of takes care of its own, it, it almost becomes like a cancer. And, and it destroys no, he says the gifts that have been given to us were to use them. Paul at one point even reminded Timothy to stir up the gift which God had given to him. Because it seems that Timothy, whether he was depressed or bummed out or going through trials, that he just felt like, I don't want to do this no more. He just kind of dropped back and, 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 and Paul had to remind him, hey, there was a gift that people laid hands on you and you were out doing it, for, but for some reason you stopped doing it. And the body is hurting because of it. And so he reminds him, don't neglect the gift that God has given you. And he says, if prophecy, let him prophesy in proportion to your, to your faith, to our faith. The prophecy is first and foremost the foretelling of God's word, especially in the Old Testament. Prophets prophesied what God wanted his people to know. In the New Testament, we see prophets mentioned a few times in the book of Acts. They were considered disciples of Jesus Christ. They were, they were going out. They were sent out to go proclaim the gospel. Not all the disciples were considered prophets. But that's not to say that they weren't doing the work of a prophet to go out and proclaim the gospel. Every voice that speaks prophecy, speaking what God has said, thus says the Lord, needs to be in accordance to the word of God. And, and in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that those who prophesy like that, who speak forth the word of God, the rest are supposed to judge it. They're supposed to test it to see if it is in accordance with the word of God because no other voice should be louder than the word of God here. And if you're going to speak a prophecy, if you're going to share a prophecy that, that this is from the Lord, it should line up with the word of God. And whoever you give that prophecy to, that this is what God's telling me for you, then that person should be able to come back to the word of God and it should align perfectly. But God, or God, Paul uses the word prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14 in another way to edify the church. If you would like to turn over to 1 Corinthians 14, I want to read to you uh, the first four verses of chapter 14 when he talks about this prophecy. 
And he says in verse 1 of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For he, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so here in the proportion of the faith given to you, let us edify. Let us bring edification, speak edification, exhortation and comfort to men. When when, when the word of God is being poured out or being preached, prophecy is being used oftentimes because some are edified, some are are, are being uh, exhorted and some are being comforted. But when you're sharing from the word of God, when you're ministering and you're exhorting your edifying, your comforting, you are prophesying in that sense. And he says here, do it with the proportion of the faith that has been given to you. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to go outside and and, and share with people what is prophecy. If it's prophecy, prophesy. And then he says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. We get our word deacon from this word ministry. And I believe it's, it, it's more being used with a small M than with a capital M. He's not talking about the minister. He's talking about ministry. And, and I want to read to you from Acts chapter 6, where, where there was a situation that had arisen in the early church where people weren't feeling like they were being taken care of. And, and the apostles said, you know, we can't, we can't continue doing this. We need to raise up men that can take care of, of these things. And this is where verse, uh, verse 2 of chapter 6 says, Then the twelve summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint for this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to minister the word, uh, to the ministry of the word. And so he, he is saying here that, that there was people that were going to take care of the stuff that the other guys didn't have time to do. Now, there are many, both men and women, in this church that fill this kind of role that minister in, 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 in the small M, not the capital M, that minister in the background that sometimes you have no clue who they are. There's people that maintain this building and you have no clue who they are. There's people that clean the bathroom and you have no clue who they are. There, there, there's people that, that, that get here early on Sunday morning so the chairs are straight and everything's taken care of. And you know, I don't even have to worry about that. I, I get to, to, to be studying and, and doing what I need to do and everybody else is taking care of those kinds of things. But you know what? They are just as important because you come in here and you come and you sit down and you leave and you don't even think twice about it. And that's great that you didn't even think twice that there was toilet paper in the bathroom. Right on. 
You know, it was taken care of, right? Everything seemed clean and and tidy. and, And you know what? That's what this word right here means. When you're ministering, let us use it in our ministering. Let's be deacons. Let's be those people that are out there that are, 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 are fixing the things up for everybody else. Again, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Then that ministry is just as important. And then he says, he who teaches in teaching. And it's not always the guy behind the pulpit, although it goes from pulpit to toddlers. <laughs> Whoever is teaching within the church, it is just as important as, as those who are teaching the youth, the jehi, the, the little kids, the toddlers. And, and it's interesting because we have a desire here that whoever's going to be teaching, whether it's the little kids or the, that we teach from the Word of God, even the curriculum that they look for, that they use, it, it, it's biblical. It's not, even though it might be fun and games, it's still biblical because it's just that important. He says, he who teaches... Um, no, next one. He who exhorts in exhortation. That word exhort means to come alongside and encourage and teach as you're going. If, you're, are, if you are an exhorter, he says, continue to exhort. Continue to do that. Continue to give of yourself. He says, those who, who give with liberality. And it's not just talking about tithing. It's talking about even above and beyond tithing. Do it with liberality. If God has blessed you, bless other people. You know, people that, that, that do that kind of stuff, they, they usually have their hand open with their finances. Not, 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 they're not clinched because the more they're clinched, even though they might keep some, it's not going to go away. You know, you, you can't get more in. And so people like that have their hands open to give and God keep, continues to bless them. So he says to those who give, and again, he's using it in a way of, you know what, just give of yourself. Give, give of your finances. Give of your time. Do it with liberality. He who leads, continue to do it with diligence. You know, those who think that they can lead, hey, start leading. Get in that position. If this is what God has called you to do, then begin to lead and see if anybody follows. Because a- after a while, you'll look back and if anybody's following, then maybe you are a leader. So continue to, to, to lead. And then he says, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those of us who, or those of you who, desire to not give people what they deserve, kind of, that's okay. Continue to show that mercy. Because you've been showed a lot of mercy. We should be showing that kind of mercy as well. It's almost like these things that he has mentioned here, they just don't have to do with the guy that's leading the church. It's the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ, there are those people who are prophesying, who are encouraging, who are, who are lifting up, who are comforting, and to do it according to the faith. Those who are ministering, those who are, are giving of themselves, being those kinds of deacons, those who are teaching, whether it's the little kids, or you're teaching behind the pulpit, or you're, you're, you're teaching at Finner Fire Camp, or you're teaching at the truck stop ministries, wherever you're teaching, maybe it's just teaching your own kids at home. The Word of God. Do it. Continue to teach. Continue to exhort. Come alongside the people that that are in your sphere of influence and exhort them, encourage them. Continue to give liberally. Continue to lead. And show mercy. By all means, show mercy. 
God has given us mercy. Paul is begging us by the mercies of God that we present ourselves. Show mercy wherever needed. Um, we, we, we finished just a little early here, and I did that kind of on purpose because I want to spend some time in prayer to be able to, to just pray with, uh, with the body. Um, as, as I was studying for this and I was looking at what I was going to be covering, I want to encourage us that even as we pray, that we would ask God, Lord, where, where do you want me? Where do I fit in? How, how do I fit into the body of Christ? And, and again, whether you pray silently or you pray out loud, I want you guys to be open as we pray right now because maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know what my gifts are. And I can guarantee you, God has given all of us that measure of faith. He's given us that grace in our lives. He's given us gifts. And some, you know what your gift is, but you've been sitting there going, gosh, I just don't want to step out. And God's been calling you to step out. And maybe tonight is your time to just pray out loud and going, Lord, here I am. Use me. And so I just want to pray for a few minutes and then um, in a little while I'll call the worship team up and we'll close, close up. But I just want to spend this time in prayer with you guys. And so let me start off. And again, if you feel led to pray, just pray out loud. And so we can say amen with you. Father, as, as we do come before you, Lord, as we, as we look at your word, and it reminds us, Lord, just how much you love us, how much you, you, you care for us, that you have called us, Lord, as, as Paul, through Paul, to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. It's our only reasonable service. You've called us out of the world, You've transformed us, Lord. Father, I do pray that you would just continue to do that work in us, Father. Some of us that are in here this this evening, Lord God, we need to be humbled. We've thought too highly of ourselves for far too long, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would just minister in such a powerful way that there would be humility flowing from this place. But I also know, Lord God, that you have called many of us You've called all of us, Lord, to minister, to follow after you. And Lord, I I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters that you would just give them encouragement to even pray for themselves tonight and what's going on in their lives, Lord, that, that that you're calling them to serve. So Lord, I just, I just lift them up to, to, to you this, this evening. God, you would truly just encourage them. We pray.